Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. Today we have John Gibson, who is an attorney out of California of all places, but really he's a roving attorney who works and lives much of the year out of a van. Uh, and hopefully your interest is piqued, as was mine. John and I have known about each other for uh, 10 or 12 years now because his wife is a uh, endurance athlete coach and I am a pretend endurance athlete and have used her, uh, Tawny Gibson, as a coach. So make sure to check out their podcast, Endurance Planet, uh, where you will not hear me because I am not in any way qualified for that. And in the meantime, listen to John talk about practicing law from a van uh, and taking on that whole journey. And as always, remember, rate and review us. It takes literally 10 seconds, pause this, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You don't even have to write one. Five stars, leave it there, share it with a friend, say, hey, this is going to be a great episode, uh, and that helps us spread the word and get more people listening to the show. I hope you enjoy it, and have a good day. John, thanks for joining us. Hi, Josh. Good to be here. So we were just talking before we record, started hitting record, uh, you know, obviously you're involved in creating a podcast and we'll get into that in a second, but we were talking about audio quality, which is very nerdy and maybe we'll cut this out, but I was going to comment that nobody cares that you have a helicopter pilot headset. Um, I care because I appreciate it and I'm sure our audience will, but the other thing I've seen, and I don't know if you see this in California, a lot of people that don't care at all and they show up, you can't see their face, you can't hear a word they're saying, they're looking with their angle of their cameras up their nose so i appreciate you taking the uh, audio and video seriously yeah well i hope i don't know how do i look okay I you look good better than me <laughs> but this is audio only so that's fine that's just for our purposes not in a, not in a weird way i'm not like saving the video or anything but so anyway so you're an attorney in california uh but you also help run a podcast tell me tell me a little bit of, i mean we know each other because i've been listening to your wife's podcast for like 12 years and she was my uh, training coach for a while on and off and still is i guess and you know she's talked about you on the podcast i knew you were a lawyer so i reached out and i said this is going to be an interesting story so you know tell me how you came to be a lawyer and then be a lawyer in california that uh, also helps run a podcast yeah yeah where do we start how much time do you have um yeah, I've been practicing in California for about 15 years when I uh, went to law school at night um, after getting my MBA and really didn't have any ideas about practicing law. I was working in business development, doing a lot of business deals with, you know, for companies. And yeah, just one thing kind of led into other after graduation. And I thankfully got laid off from a company with a nice severance. And at that point, I was already being asked friends and uh, by friends and family and whatever to help out with mostly business related stuff. Cause I was in that realm and I really enjoyed the business transactional side of it. So I was just kind of doing it on the side. And then when I lost the, or, you know, got laid off from this job, it was a very easy transition into doing other things besides business things that I was dealing with independently, just the idea of practicing law on things that I'd already been working on, helping friends out and thinking, well, I might as well try this. Um, so started independently, uh, not working for a firm, which obviously has its challenges and we can go through that, especially making very, very little money as you're, uh, you're learning on the job. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just kind of evolved from there. And then you're doing mostly, well, I guess back then you name it and I probably did it. It was the, the typical hang your shingle out and, you know, anything is good experience, which I'm actually really thankful for these days. Cause I feel like I know a lot about a lot of areas of the law. 
that uh, some people don't, or maybe um, a good amount of attorneys don't. And it's really provided a lot of value, I think, to clients even today where you kind of have a better idea of what the reality of the situation is um, and what's really going to happen rather than in theory, what could happen. Um, so blending those two, I think has been a big help. Uh, but yeah, then fast forward and I met my now wife back in about 2011 and she had just started hosting a podcast on endurance sports called Endurance Planet. That's a much bigger podcast than this one. So, so that was kind you of gotta my... tell your people that you're on this podcast and you get us a little love yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure Tani will mention it uh, on her podcast. Yeah. So fast forward, I met her and started understanding podcasts back then. And she was a little new to the game, kind of lucked into that deal. Fast forward even more. And she, when we were, I guess, getting close or before we were getting married, she ended up taking over the podcast as well as hosting it um, you know, from a business perspective. But her background is in journalism and exercise uh, physiology and stuff. So my background being in the business side of it and doing a lot of online publishing and back in my day, things like that, it was kind of a natural fit for me to help out and, and get involved more on the business side. So from that perspective, this is I'm, I'm in the different seat right now. I'm usually not wearing this headset. I'm usually the one behind the scenes making sure things happen and that, uh, that the podcast can sustain itself, uh, especially financially. So do you uh, run the entire business side of the podcast? Are you guys uh, partners? What, how does that, who's, you know, you're the boss, she's the boss, depending on who's wearing the headset? No, um, we split it um, mostly because I realized that, uh, and, and I know she doesn't really want to deal with the business side, but I realized if it's easier, the podcast I think is better when she's focusing on the content and I'm focusing on the, the business side of it. So kind of like, you know, traditional newspaper model, I guess, um, or media model in general, where the business side is separate from the uh, editorial or, or content side of it. So yeah, run the backside. It doesn't, you know, it, thankfully we have it dialed in pretty well and we get, we get a lot of help too. We have uh, uh, what four or five people on the team that are doing different aspects of it, like the audio editing and the, um, you know, social media posting and, um, you know, scheduling, um, show notes, things like that, um, just to kind of get everybody fo a little more focused. Um, but so you know, the talent just has to show up and you just have to cash the checks. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically. And, and, and hope that everything uh, goes smoothly. So uh, yeah, we have a pretty good system worked out. I'm actually pretty happy with the level of work that everybody doesn't have to put into it to put off a, um, a good show. So, and it is a good show. I can highly recommend uh, endurance planet to anyone. Now, are you still, but you're still practicing, right? That's not your full, which one's your full-time job. That's what I want to know. So my, my main focus is my law practice. Um, Yes, from a, a, a timing perspective, I, I practice law full-time and the rest is just kind of on the side. I, th those terms always, always confuse me. Especially in today's day and age where everyone absolutely. has a side hustle. Absolutely. And from a legal perspective, I mean, I'm dealing with things on the, you know, I, my practice is mostly transactional, um, business transactional. So I'm dealing with um, issues not only going on in California, but across the country and around the world. Uh, dealing with deals negotiated. So from a timing perspective that, you know, you're, you're kind of always working anyway. So, so what really is full-time anymore or part-time or, or whatever. Exactly. So do you have a specific area of business transactions that you focus on? Is it in any way tied into the, you know, endurance world or is it, yeah, you were saying that you used to do a little bit of everything. Have you honed in on something specific? I've definitely honed in. I think early on it was um, when I started practicing, it was uh, kind of almost necessity, you know, doing some criminal law here, doing some family law here, doing some bi mostly business law, 
and knowing that I enjoyed the business law the most and it was kind of, oh, family law. Okay. I, that really is not my, in my wheelhouse and not no. something interested yeah. in. <laughs> like, how do I not do this anymore? But, you know, doing bankruptcy stuff, things like that. So now I've really just honed in on, you know, 60 to 70% uh, business transactional. I'd say it's, you can call it general business transactional. So you're coming to me, you're recording uh, in a van, I, possibly down by a river. You're in California. I don't know what the geography is. I mean, and it's a creek. Um, yeah. so <laughs> close. I'm, I'm literally looking at a creek. Um, yeah, we're down in Southern California right now where uh, Tony and I both grew up. Um, we're staying with uh, my wife's in-laws for my daughter's birthday and then Mother's Day this coming weekend. I don't know when the show's getting released, but uh, yeah, then we'll be uh, hitting the road again. You, to clarify, it's your wife's parents, right? Your in-laws? Yes. What did I say? My wife. You said your wife's in-laws, which would be your parents, which would be a very <laughs> weird way of talking. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're staying with your in-laws, so, but you're staying relationship with my with my parents, if yeah. I said my wife's in-laws. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a distant relationship. Um, t- you know, tell me about the van and what's going on there. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the, in the list of, of, of crazy ideas and things to do, I think right after my wife and I got married, she said, Hey, I saw this thing where people are living in vans and traveling the country. Like, that sounds like it'd be pretty cool. We should do that. And then next thing you know, a couple of years later, we have a, a, a van that, that I built. So in this self-contained van, that from the outside would just look like a normal passenger van, we can, we can live out of. I love traveling, I love seeing places. I wanted to see more of places. And the idea of driving to and from places without really being on a hardcore week or two long road trip and being able to take your time really appealed to me. So when I started looking into what this was all about, you know, living in a van was all about, I thought, okay, it, it is actually a lot better than it sounds uh, or that Chris Farley made it sound. Um, and, and then you start realizing that it's, it, it is a very sustainable way to live um, or it, and not obviously has its challenges, but it still allows you to see things that you not, wouldn't normally see and, and even the in-between. So I think the most fun we've had has been in-between cities and seeing different random places that we probably never would go to or meeting random people that we never would run into or seeing how other people live across the country. Uh, it seems like an almost an ideal setup during COVID. A better way to social distance than being out in a van with your family and way away from everybody else. Yes. Uh, so we've been further away from people than I think most people in, in, in you know, suburban um, or urban area living um, places. But and, and when you come back, do you own a house or did you, are you like super minimalist, sold everything? Yeah, we were renting. Um, a place down in Southern California for just a, you know, a year lease kind of thing. Um, but yeah, our, our, we have stuff it's in storage um, and that's not ideal, but we also know that we're not going to be doing this forever. So it's easier just to put stuff in storage and, and come back to it wherever we end up settling. Yeah. And could be Austin, could be Florida, could be <laughs> Boston. Who knows? <laughs> that Probably not Boston. I, I can't imagine a bunch of SoCalers being able to handle a, New England or Pennsylvania or Vermont winter? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the good question. I don't know. We've, we've uh, really appreciated our time in Montana and Idaho. Um, we've really enjoyed, I mean, you name it. It's, it's funny because it's, especially with the way things are these days with, with COVID and other, you know, and, 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 and people's attitudes about other people in, in this country and stuff. It's really interesting to get out there and really experiencing it, experience it and see what things are really like, kind of as mentioned before. And, um, 
yeah and and just knowing that there's there's more to an area than how they voted in the last presidential election and has that been your experience are you meeting people when you go to these places are you interacting with people or because of covid is it you're on your own you know you park in a walmart overnight or a campground overnight and you, and you just see the th the three of you yeah, there, there's some interactions and inevitably you're even at a grocery store and, you know, people, you know, it's funny when they say, oh, you need bags for this. It's like, no, it's okay. It's going right in the refrigerator. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, there's a refrigerator in the van. So. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I love doing, I always wanted to do that. Like, tell me more. And then you get in a 15 minute conversation with the, the checker at a Whole Foods. So, yeah. And, you know, that's the next question. We'll get into how you run a law practice from a van in a second, but I still have questions about actually living in the van, which are obviously, as you said, your wife is an endurance coach and I'm guessing you guys eat uh, pretty healthy and try to, you know, stay pretty healthy. And how does, I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. Are you hunting? Are you uh, storing a lot of food in this van at one time? How does that, and you got a little kid, my kid only eats chicken fingers and macaroni and cheese. So, you know, how does all that work? Yeah, um, it's that's kind of part of the challenge of it. There's I know there's some people that can be like off the grid and out of cities for an extended period of time. We're good for about three days. And that's mostly because of food storage. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely uh, be in an area and looking for the local Whole Foods or, you know, insert your other very expensive, um, healthy, organic grocery store, uh, depending on the area of the country you're in. It, so that's, you know, it, those the Whole Foods are getting a little more ubiquitous and with other, uh, other, other stores with good, uh, with, with good ingredients. Um, we definitely hit those up every once in a while, but it's not that much different from when we're living in a house because we don't really shop for a week at a time anyway. It's usually for a couple days at a time. So it's just a matter of knowing where the local Whole Foods is. So definitely uh, mapping technology and cell phones help a lot. And how does that work when you're in the middle of nowhere? Um, you'd be surprised at uh, the, the amount of coverage you get on, in places. I think the only, the longest time I think we were without cell phone service, and this is, this is to plan as well, because we both run our businesses from you know, remotely. So we need internet connection, which means we need a cell phone connection uh, most of the time. But I think the longest time, I think for like three or four days, we were um, over Labor Day weekend in 2020, we were up in the North Cascades. And that was the longest time we went without internet on the whole trip. Um, usually it's, if you, if you lose internet, it seems like it's, it's just a little spotty here and there. Um, and you know, we know if my wife needs to record a podcast, then we know when that's going to be. And we make sure that the dates that she has to do something like that, or if I have a, a court appearance or something, we know well before that we don't just roll up 15 minutes before and, uh, and decide, let's set everything up and take a phone call here. It's, you need to have a little more, a little more planning is involved with things like that. So I guess you're not getting last minute in your world. You know, I do criminal defense and child welfare. So there's a lot of last minute, hey, be in court tomorrow. And yeah. I'm guessing you don't have to deal with that. Yeah, because I do such a small amount of litigation. I mean, you know, the only thing you're really looking for on the civil litigation um, perspective is, is, you know, any ex parte stuff. But, you know, like I said, if we're going to be gone off the grid for a number of days, it's usually over a weekend or a holiday weekend, like a Labor Day. So if I don't have my phone on me on a Friday, but we have, or I don't have connection on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday holiday, it's still not really the end of the world um, as far as, uh, as, as, as client work goes. But yeah, and with the transactional side, it's a little more, um, it's obviously a little, uh, little less emergency related. 
um, very few emergencies. And does that mean that you work kind of random hours? How do you run your practice from mostly a van? Yeah, yeah, to some degree. I mean, it's, yeah, mostly a van, it's easy as long as there's internet. Um, and it's, I've always been a big fan of scheduling calls and scheduling my day just to make sure that I can get in everything I need to and, I'll, and not burn myself out. Um, so yeah, it is working weird hours sometimes, but that's, you know, I don't know, for me, the work side of it, is, is the easier side just because, you know, even before COVID, my wife and I both worked out of the house and managing a couple different businesses between us. So it hasn't been that unusual, at least for me, to, um, to kind of manage around our schedules with a daughter in a van because the van portion of it doesn't seem that different to me. It's the, the daughter portion is diff yeah, more different. That is different. Because there are times where you know, she obviously needs to be watched by one of us at any given time. And if my wife's on a podcast and I have a, you know, a, a, a court appearance to make, like that's, that becomes problematic. Um, we well, so, have a dog, right? We can't, you can't somebody hey. just, <laughs> somebody just keep an eye on this kid, right? The dog weighs about nine pounds. So, uh -oh. you know, I, I think I'd be more afraid for the dog in the, in, in the, in the daughter versus dog situation than, right. uh, than, than the daughter. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's managing schedules, sharing sharing calendars. I, like I said, I don't think it's that that unusual. It's just making sure there aren't any conflicts. But uh, you know, that from a, a, a you know in the last year or so, I think it's actually been easier to have kids screaming in the background of a court call. And yeah, nobody cares. Well, yeah, people are kind of understanding that everybody's in the same boat. I don't go around telling the judge that I'm in the middle of nowhere in a van. But you know. and do people know? Like, do your colleagues and your clients know? Some do, um, you know, definitely I, I, you know, I told you, I started my practice with some friends that had some businesses. So definitely my friends know what I'm doing and appreciate it. Um, I don't think, I guess most of my clients actually know, I, I don't even, it's a good question. I have to kind of, they're making a list, so at least, at least my regular clients that I'm doing work for on a, on a, you know, weekly or monthly basis. I think most of them know. Um, none of them really care because I have no idea where they are when I talk to them most of the time. You know? Right. It's in this world too. It's just, it's like, you know, I, I think I have, I guess now I, I used to have some clients that I never met in person, which I thought was always really weird. Um, but I guess that's, that becomes a more of a thing. You know, it's not like they're, <laughs> I, I know who they are and what they are and where their business is and, you know, even in where they live and stuff like that. So it's not that big of a deal, but it, it still seems kind of strange to me that not meeting some people in person that you, that you uh, know so well or, uh, or, or, or do a lot of um, potentially important work for. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I represent people that are incarcerated and sometimes I've only seen them once, but I've been, I know every single thing that they've ever done and everything about them. It's a, uh, it's a weird thing about being a lawyer, I think even before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I don't know if you've listened to some of our other episodes, but now is when we turn to uh, not rapid fire, but numerous questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show. All right. And the first one is uh, the most important one. Uh, and so we'll see if you get it right. And it is this. What is your opinion uh, on the Oxford comma? Do you use it? And do you know what it is? And do you use it? And I can tell you that you're in good company either way. Yeah. So I do listen to the podcast. I'm a fan. Nice. Um, was a long time listener, first time guest. Yeah. Um, so I knew what it was. If you would have said to me before I listened to your podcast, what is the Oxford comma? I'd say, I don't know. And then you'd explain it to me. And I'd say, 
Oh yeah, I know what that is, and that thing drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> no, I, I guess I'll give the best lawyer answer, right? And I'm surprised nobody said this yet. It depends. Um, I, I think uh, the <sighs> depends on what I'm writing, um, whether I use it. I think I'm probably a minimalist by uh, by nature, so I think I do without. Um, Switch by, hitter though sounds like, but but there are some ramifications or potential ramifications to to using or not using it and and understanding that. So I, I think if you looked at most of my stuff, you'd see there was no Oxford comma. But you know, I it it all like I said, I like the it depends answer, so I'm sticking with that one. And have you ever gotten in a jam or or dealt with a case where that was the issue? No. No. Yeah, I think it's pretty, I think it's rare, but it does happen. I think it's very rare. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, like doing a, doing the litigation and even random areas of the law, like I have never heard of it being an issue. Um, I, I, I can see how somebody might argue that. I think most people arguing that even with any um, jurisprudence saying that it makes a difference. I think if I was on a, 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 a client call with the opposing counsel and they said yeah but you didn't put the oxford comma in i think i'd have to mute it because i'd just be laughing in the background um, well you know, you know i almost I like when somebody says uh when somebody says to you like uh um well we're just gonna um what's what's the big one that i always get and i always know i'm on to something when when another attorney says um we're just gonna file for malicious prosecution and it's like okay that's the last straw. If, if you're if you're threatening malicious prosecution at this point, then we know we know there's not we we know my, it's my not going to settle. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not going to settle, and and we know my case is good, right? It's yeah. Like, like let's talk about the let's talk about the the specifics instead of the uh, the just okay. It's my it's, I'm, I'm reaching now. So anyway. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, what is something you get wrong almost every time you do it? Oof. That's a hard one. Uh, I. Because, you know, I think like most attorneys, I hate being wrong or getting something wrong. And I especially hate it twice. So um, it probably doesn't have anything to do with the law. It doesn't have to. Yeah. It's probably when my wife says something to me when we're having a discussion or argument, me not saying, I hear you and I understand you. Like if I said that, if, if, I, if I didn't get that wrong half the time. I think my life would be a lot easier. You and a lot of other people, probably myself included. That's good advice. Um, what's something you hate, but you wish you loved? Probably golf. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's actually, a, you're the first person to say that. I agree. And uh, I think it's a pretty good answer. I also wish I, I uh, patience would probably be another one. Something that I hate, but wish I loved just can't get into the whole being patient thing so that considering you spend hours and hours every day driving around with a toddler i i don't believe you because i've got a two and a half year old upstairs not right now but i mean you know you got to have a lot of patience dealing with a kid in a very tight uh confined space like that yeah she's pretty good she loves the van so um so it's that's not that big of a deal we don't we try not to drive that much every day too because that's just not fair to anybody i i realized that uh we kind of have this unwritten rule or, or kind of spoken, but unwritten rule that we try to do less than 50 miles of driving a day. Um, and that's an average thing. So if we were to go drive 300 miles to some town or some campsite or whatever, we'd want to stay there for at least six days. Just otherwise we're truck drivers. Right. And it's driving around all the time. And, you know, like you mentioned before about 
going to the grocery store, stuff like that, like that stuff is harder when you're trying to find the grocery store and navigate a town, even with maps and stuff like that. So yeah, we try to drive less, but anyway, this is going to be, I don't know if you're going to have a hundred answers to this or no answers, which is what's the weirdest tradition your family has. And considering the van situation, I don't know if that means you have a million weird traditions or that's such a big part of the life that there are no other weird traditions. Yeah, not a whole lot, I don't think. I mean, besides the typical, you know, celebrating birthdays and, and you know, anniversaries and things like that, I don't think we have a whole lot of traditions. Yeah, I can't. Uh, can't Do you really have any superstitions? Oh, no, I'm not a superstition guy. Man, this is, I'm getting boring all of a sudden. No, it's okay. Some, some people don't have any answers uh, yeah. to any of these questions. But, you know, superstitions can be anything. It doesn't have to just be stepping on a crack and uh, walking under uh, ladders. I've also included in there, oh, when I go to court, first day of trial, I always wear my red suit or my red tie, yeah. or I park in the same spot or that kind of thing. No, no, I don't, I don't do any of that. Um, I try to keep it pretty simple. Um, it, it's funny. I race cars um, on and off and it's funny, like people wearing the same socks and same gloves and same, having the same procedure all the time going into, you know, getting in the race car and stuff like that. And I just, I don't think I've ever really thought about that. Maybe lack of imagination or something. Let's take a quick side sidetrack there you race cars oh yeah yeah so in addition to just to just so we're keeping track in addition to running a law firm helping run a podcast business helping run a uh, personal coaching business and living out of a van you're also racing cars i'm assuming the car is not the van it's a that's a separate vehicle that is it is well yeah it used to be my brother and i had a race team for a long time doing a lot of uh amateur um endurance sports car racing so multi-class racing on a purpose-built racetrack right and left-hand turns kind of thing, um, doing races from three hours up to 25 hours um, in a, a, in a, on a weekend. So just more of a hobby um, that we did a little bit for, as a business. And now as um, my brother had a lot of kids and I have a child and we're traveling a lot, I do a lot less of the racing, but now it's not building and prepping cars anymore. It's more just finding a team that needs an additional driver and, uh, and, and paying them some amount of money to go to go play race car for a weekend. Is that how that works? If somebody is on a team, I mean, I'm assuming it's like in Fast and the Furious, when they want you on their team, they kind of Vin Diesel shows up, there's a conversation, you get yeah, a big involved and an evil villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that so that's not how it works. You have to pay them to race. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, I mean, it's the difference between amateur and and pro. So, you know, the pro racing status, I mean, I guess even at the pro level status, the highest level, there are still people that pay to drive a race car. It just so happens that they probably have some sponsorship, personal sponsorship and or or you know, independently wealthy or families independently wealthy to pay to, you know, half million, million dollars, whatever it might be, to drive in a one of the, the ultra sports car. Uh, races in the in the country or the world at the lower level you know I, I think if you look at it from running or owning and running a race team and having a race car you're spending money to on the people that are working on the car on the travel to get there on the car on prepping the car on you know all the all the small things that add up quite quite uh, quickly in a car like that so from that perspective when I when I had a team it was paying money to drive now it's just not the hassle and paying the money to somebody else to, so they can have the hassle. So yeah, that's right. usually how it works. Um, especially when you hit longer races, you know, if it's a 30 minute race, you don't need one driver. If it's a 25 hour race, you're looking at at least three, probably four or five drivers over that period of time. And, and, you know, 
driver going in for a couple hours, switching out for the next driver when you get fuel, that kind of thing. So the, the best way is if somebody wants to do that race is they pay some money uh, for, depending on the, the, the type of car, the, the racing series, the expenses, whatever. And uh, yeah, there are some people that have, this is their business is, uh, is running these race teams and having people pay. So you obviously were able to leverage your, it sounds like you had a lot of mechanical knowledge when you went into the van situation, hence being able to uh, fiddle around with some of that. Yeah, for sure. The only thing I really didn't understand that well from uh, owning houses and race cars is, um, is woodworking. I wasn't very good at woodworking, but now I think I'm a lot better at it. Because um, you've built the table? Stuff, and Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, one of my brothers is, is really, really good at it. He helped me quite a bit with the initial plans designs. And then from there, I kind of uh, took it and, and learned a ton from him. So I was able to finish up a lot of the things in the van um, from what I learned from him. But hey, there's also YouTube too. I know friends that are building vans right now and they do the same way. It's just, you watch YouTube and you, uh, you, you, you parse out what works and what doesn't work or, or what looks like it might be a problem. And you know, so as, long, as far as I'm concerned, as long as uh, nobody gets hurt and you don't electrocute yourself, then, uh, all, all should be mission fine. successful and when they sell the van there are people that now sell these vans ready to live in right is that a, that's an industry now i think yeah yeah for sure i think the rv industry has transitioned pretty heavily into sprinter vans and i know there are a lot of companies out there right now doing a lot of um uh, very precise and expensive work i heard about a, an artist that will paint the interior of vans but they're selling these vans for like three hundred fifty thousand dollars. and so i guess definitely your house yeah, it's your house and, and people, you know, uh, people really get into them. I, the number of times we stop places and you get the questions about, hey, can I look at your van or I'm building one or, you know, whatever, wherever we go, somebody's asking for basically a van tour. Um, and in COVID, are you letting that happen or uh, not really? Not, not really. Uh, but I say not really, no. <laughs> yeah. We get it less now in COVID, but um you know, there is, but there are those exchanges and, and, um, I think I, I documented the build pretty well on my Instagram. My wife's Instagram is probably as good or better as far as the travels and stuff like that. But, um, that's usually a good way of, uh, of letting people know kind of what we did and some of the intricacies and, and, you know, you always get the question, what would you do differently, uh, as well, which I think helps a lot of people, but, um, yeah, not, not, not so many van tours these days. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of COVID with all this traveling, was it difficult to find a vaccine or have you guys just been kind of getting a shot in every state just to, <laughs> just to really make sure, you know, with all your travels that you're good to go. Checking all the boxes. We get one of those, uh, you know, that you see those Matt of the, uh, of the United States on the outside of RVs sometimes where they have like, it's colored in where they've been. It's like, that's every state you get a shot in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mix and match. Um, <laughs> Last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I think the yeah best piece, at least I think best piece, but probably the one I remember the most. Um, and this is kind of a funny story. My grandpa, um, back in the 90s, like right before he died, he gave me this little uh, um, post-it note card. And on it was written, anything you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe in and enthusiastically act upon will come to pass. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic advice. Yeah. He's so smart. Like I, I, I respected him before that. And then I saw that and I'm like, man, this guy's like super smart and really keyed in. Like I, for some reason, 10 years after that, I was like, 
but I still really like that saying. And I was like, I wonder if anybody else knows about that. And I searched on the internet. It was somebody else's quote. Yeah, yeah, of course. But hey, it's still <laughs> good advice. Drive. Yeah. It, and we still have it. I laminated it. It's in the van because it's it's one of those things, right? Right. Where it's like the van's a good example of that. Like I vividly imagined it. I I really desired it. And and uh, you know, next thing you know, you got a van and we're traveling the country doing what we want to do. So that's great. Well, hey, we'll we'll end it there. Tell us, tell people where they can find you. <laughs> probably not a lot of places. Um, I don't go on Instagram a lot, but if anybody's interested in the van build, if I do happen to go on Instagram, uh, my Instagram is uh, IPA at the finish, I-P-A-A-T-F-I-N-I-S-H. Um, but really, that that's that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't, no firm website? I don't do the firm website. Um, I don't, you know, all, my, all my stuff, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, and I get you know enough traction and marketing and uh and referrals from clients to more than satisfy what uh what we're trying to do um definitely check out endurance planet um and then i think when you go there you can um you know the website there is all dialed in you can go there and follow the instagram there and find out about my wife and probably get more information on the van life stuff and the document documenting of that van life travels from uh from her instagram than you would from uh from any of my stuff excellent well hey john i appreciate you joining us and and uh stay safe out there yeah for sure thanks thanks for listening to interrogatories with josh campson this podcast is a production of the montgomery bar association in norristown pennsylvania Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.